Well, congratulations. You're to be congratulated for being, for choosing to be born a Brazilian, or even more, a European, maybe a North American. Congratulations, you chose well. You know English. You're sitting listening to the English language. Wow, that was really smart. Some of you were chose, chose to be born a woman. In today's world, that's especially honoring. Maybe uh, white men are actually on the bottom of the totem pole for once in history. Good choice. You chose to be born at a time in history when you can hear the message of mercy and come to know Jesus and study his word with a thousand different uh, applications and tools. Good going, folks. Did you choose any of that? You didn't. Of course, none of these things are our choice. They were all chosen for us. God chose to put you here. God chose to make you a man or a woman. That's a revolutionary statement these days. God chose for you to be here this morning. He chose for you to be sitting in your seat this morning. We're going through 1 Peter. It's a letter to the church scattered across the world. In verse 1, Peter says it's to exiles, elect exiles, those with Jesus' passports. Elect exiles by the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Holy Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Foreknowledge, sanctification, and obedience. That's what represents an elect exile. Today's message, do I have this on? No. Today's message is, now you've received mercy. Chosen, royal, and holy. And I'd like to just read that passage one more time in the English Standard Version. You heard it a little earlier in context. 1 Peter chapter 2. If you have an app or a Bible, please open it. Don't just trust my reading or a screen. Have your own sword so that it can get sharpened this morning. 1 Peter 2, and we'll read verses 9 to 12, which is the text for this morning's message. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see, you good, see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. May God bless his word, that it would be active and living in our souls. What does it say? Uh, you know, when you come to the Bible, you should eat. You should eat. Three things involved in eating. Opening your mouth, chewing your food. Well, right? better you chew it, the better. And then swallowing. So those three things are, what does it say? 
What does it mean? Let's break it down. And what does it mean for me? How do I take this in as part of my daily life and become a doer of the word and not just a hearer? You know, there's food that you eat and you chew it up and you don't like it, so you spit it out. I'm afraid we do that a lot in church. No, I don't want to do that. I'm going to leave that right here and go home and be the same as I've ever been. Got to swallow. That's application. So let's do that with this passage this morning. Here, breaking it down, it starts with but you. But you. Uh, This is in contrast to what we just talked about last time, up through verse 8, where it talks about that those who... Uh, reject Jesus as the cornerstone, stumble because they disobey the message. That's verse 8, which is also what they are destined for. So you are either destined for obedience or disobedience. You are either chosen to show God's glory through his wrath on your rebellion or to show his glory through in grace and mercy, submitting to him, obeying the word, and building your life around the cornerstone who is Jesus Christ. Then he calls us four things. Those of us who have been chosen and who have built our lives around the cornerstone are four special things, four special ways of describing the people of God. And I was so encouraged this week that this is the week that this message is being given to Calvary. I believe it's not just me. I'm just the PVC pipe through which the water of life is being chosen to flow. But I see God's hand loving Calvary in the fact that we're talking about being a holy nation on the 200th anniversary of our earthly nation and on the death of the greatest queen in recent history, probably the greatest monarch that we will ever know. There will never be another monarch like Queen Elizabeth II. We are a royal We are a chosen race, a chosen race. What a time to talk about race. My, uh, one of my mentors is Dr. John Perkins from Mississippi in the United States. If you've never heard of Dr. John Perkins, look it up. He's written a book called uh, One Blood. And in it, he says, race is a fallacy. We're all one human race. We are born of the same parents and there shouldn't be fighting in the house. We are all human. But Peter disagrees a little bit, and he says there's a new race. We've talked about that here. There's a new Adam. There's a last Adam. Jesus Christ begins a new humanity in preparation for a new heaven and a new earth. When you are born of God, you are born into this new race, which is a chosen Race, in Portuguese we say, raça eleita, elect, chosen by God. Like Jesus in verse 4, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. God chooses us before we choose him. What is it to be a race? It's to have the same ancestors. Only descendants of Christ have his characteristics and go on to live on the new earth that he is making. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones puts it this way, risen with Christ to a new nature. Christ is the firstborn among many brothers. See, Christianity is not about doing better. 
It's not about trying harder. It's about regeneration. It's about starting over. It's about dying with Christ, rising in Christ, and living His indestructible, righteous life now. A, a, roy, a chosen race. But the second one is a royal priesthood. A royal priesthood. What a wonderful word royal is. And we saw a lot of royal pictures this week. I hope you saw them of Queen Elizabeth and her family and her reign that was so marked by justice and righteousness and mercy. I truly believe Elizabeth is in the presence of the King of Kings and she is laying her crown at his feet. Queen Elizabeth is the, was the largest single landholder in the world. 6.6 billion acres in her name. She owns all the dolphins within three miles of every shore of 16 countries that she ruled over. Doesn't need a driver's license or a passport because they're all issued in her name. She has a private ATM in Buckingham Palace that only she and her family use. Her own personal poet. She signed all the laws. Didn't have to pay taxes, although she chose to. Couldn't be arrested was the head of the Church of England, could fire the Parliament from any number of countries, including Australia and Canada, or dismiss the Prime Minister of England. The last thing she did was install a new one. She was the Commander-in-Chief of the Armed Forces and the only person in the United Kingdom who had the power to declare war on another country. That's power. That's authority. And yet she carried it with such grace and humility and Christ-like character. What a beautiful picture of the royal priesthood of believers. We are members of the king's house. We are sisters and brothers of the king of kings and lord of lords. Walking around humbly doing his service, but joyfully aware that all things are being made new, and in the end, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is the King of kings, the Lord of lords. But we're not just kings and queens. Some people mix that up and think they should have a new Mercedes because they're a son of the king and they should drive around in some fancy car. We're a priesthood. We're priests and kings. And this calls back uh, 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 the image of King David, who was the first worshiper in the procession, who was the author of most of the hymnal of Israel, who sought the Lord for the people, who interceded for his people. He was a warrior, he was a king, but he was also a priest. Brought the word of God to the people, brought the people's messages and needs to the Lord. An intermediary, just as his descendant, our Lord Jesus Christ was. Jesse and I are reading through the Lord of the Rings trilogy, J.R.R. Tolkien. If you've only watched the movies and never read the books, you're missing out. There's no time in the movies to celebrate some of the most wonderful parts of J.R.R. Tolkien's writing. And this week we read in The Return of the King about the return of the king. And there's an old woman in the houses of healing of the city of Gondor as it's going through its final battle... And the old woman in the houses of healing says, but when the king comes, we will know him 
by his healing hands. This is Tolkien's words. Thus spake Eareth, wise woman of Gondor, the hands of the king are the hands of a healer, and so shall the rightful king be known. That's the voice I use when I read to Jesse. The hands of the king are the hands of a healer. He will come with healing in his wings. He touches us and makes us whole. And that's how we know that he has all authority in heaven and on earth. Not because he comes first in wrath and glory and power. Yes, he has all those things too and he will eventually show them. But right now, he is the healing king and we are his royal priesthood. But then he says we are a holy nation, a holy nation. We are sanctified in the Holy Spirit, chosen to be His holy nation, marching toward what Hebrews 11 calls a better country whose builder, architect, and builder is God. Uh, Abraham would have had opportunity to go back, it says, but he didn't. He kept marching all his life toward the land that God would show him. And we are God's holy, marching, sojourning nation heading for that better country. Jesus is our citizenship or he is our enemy. You cannot take Jesus and stay in the doomed country of the world. World Cup is coming. Which nation are you cheering for? It'd be fun to watch some games at Calvary because we have so many nations represented. Who do you hope will win? Do you know that probably on every team there are people of the holy nation playing on the field? May Jesus' name be praised. May his holy nation advance. No problem wearing a shirt from... Congo or Japan or Brazil, no problem. But represent the holy nation that you are a part of. Friendship with the world is enmity with God. And third, he says we are, fourth, he says we are a people for God's own possession. Now, I believe Peter is, is echoing a couple of other scriptures here, and I want to take you to those. And if you'd like to turn to them, that'd be good. Again, don't just trust me. Uh, search the scriptures to see if what I'm saying is true. Exodus 19, 5 and 6. Exodus chapter 19, 5 and 6. God says to his own people these same words, and I believe Peter knew this passage well. Exodus 19, verses 5 and 6. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, of course, we have a new covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. There it is. That's where Peter is getting these phrases. We shall be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation if we keep his covenant. Now, our covenant is by, by grace through faith. By grace through faith. And Colossians says, as you received him, so walk in him. Every day, by grace through faith. That's how you keep the covenant. Not by works, not by effort, but by grace through faith again. And we are a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. Titus. 
also reflects some of this. Look at Titus 2, 11 through 14. If you're looking for a verse, a passage to memorize with your family, this is a strong suggestion. We've done that at our house, and it has great depth and riches about who we are and what we're doing here. Titus 2, 11 to 14. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us, the grace of God trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. I believe Peter read this. In fact, later on in his letter, he talks about all of Paul's letters that are a little hard to understand, but they come from the Lord. Peter knew Paul's writings. So we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and a people for God's possession with a purpose. So think People for God's possession with a purpose. And this purpose is twofold. Number one is in verse 10. It says that, so that, so that what? The reason or purpose God wants his own race of people is so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So I want you to repeat after me. Uh, a people of God's possession. Say it. Proclaim his excellencies. Let's say it one more time. A people of God's possession. Proclaim his excellencies. Now let me ask you a question. You can just answer in your heart. Can you proclaim his excellencies without opening your mouth? Maybe. Your life does proclaim it, and we're going to talk about that next. But proclaim has to do with speaking, has to do with telling, communicating. Now, not all of us are preachers, and that's God's design. We're not all supposed to be preachers. But let me tell you a couple of ways how you can proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light without standing on a, on a soapbox and preaching on the corner. My Uncle Bill, that I've told the story from this pulpit before, was a Vietnam soldier, came to faith late in life after he'd ruined most of his life, and Jesus regenerated him. He challenges me today in his evangelistic zeal. I have never been with Uncle Bill out and about when we didn't go to a cash register or talk to a waiter, and Uncle Bill, with his big beard, didn't look at them with love in his eyes and said, can I tell you what Jesus has done for me? Nobody can argue with that, except when they don't have time. The waiter says, well, maybe later. That's proclaiming the excellencies of him. Just asking that question already proclaims, Jesus has done amazing things for me. Here's another way. Beautiful sunset. You're riding on the bus coming home from work. You look out and over the Hepresa Guadapiranga, everything is pink and orange and yellow. And instead of saying, look at the sunset, which is what anybody could say, you say, what a beautiful sunset Jesus made today. And people will alert to the fact that you believe 
In him, all things hold together. He's not just a character of the past. He's not just your model and example. He is holding us together, and he's very present. Proclaiming the excellencies of him means that we were called out of darkness, chosen by him, elect by him, and like Lazarus, we heard, come forth into my marvelous light. God defines himself over and over and over in the Old Testament. I am the God who brought you out of slavery in Egypt. That's your God. That's my God. When I tell my testimony, I was saved at seven years old. My dad was a missionary. I never left the church whenever it was open. My life didn't change significantly from seven before I met Christ and after. But when I tell my testimony to an Uber driver, I say, I, I used to be a liar. And I found this out in an accountability group with Pastor Bill and Christer Holtze when we would sit around and ask each other, how'd you do this week and are you following the Lord? And suddenly I realized I was exaggerating stories to make myself look better. I was exaggerating the time I left the office because I got home late and I wanted my wife not to think so badly about me. I was lying. And I started confessing. The Spirit convicted me of, the, convicted me of those lies until the point where I hate lies. I, I look for them in my life to catch the lies because I know the power of the truth. That's proclaiming his excellencies. That's saying the God who brought me out of Egypt. I hope you've heard the testimony of our missionary Josue and his wife Cynthia who used to sell drugs and now they give away the good news of Jesus in the same place where they did that. Proverbs chapter 4 verses 18 and 19. You can turn there if you have your Bible. Proverbs 4 18 and 19 talk about this excellent call of God out of darkness into his marvelous light. Another wonderful passage to memorize with your children if you have them. But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not even know over what they stumble. That's the Bible's view of the old race and the new race. This word marvelous, I looked it up this week, and it's a marvelous word. It means a combination joined together of amazement and terror. Light that you feel like might burn your eyes. It's what the people that see angels feel when it looks like their clothes are glowing like lightning. It's an amazing light that we've been called into in the presence of God, in the presence of your own soul, when you see yourself in the light of God's holiness and you repent of your sin and you know that he's calling you to be like him. Marvelous light. Acts 26, verse 18. Paul is talking to King Agrippa about his calling. Acts 26, verse 18. He says uh, that Jesus called him to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in Christ called out of darkness, called out of the power of Satan into God. 
Then Peter goes on in verse uh, 10. All of that was in verse 9. Verse 10, he says, Once, when you were in the darkness, you were not a people. But now, you are God's people. I believe he's hearkening back to Hosea, and we won't go there right now, but Hosea was called to go out and marry a woman of sin. He had three children with her. The second one was called uh, No Mercy. The third one was called Not My People. And God said, on those that I had no mercy, now I have shed my mercy. On those who were not my people, it will be said, these are my people. I believe he's prophesying about us. All of the nations can hear God say, you are my people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. See, every single believer has a B.C., an A.D., and an A.C. This is how you give your testimony. Before Christ I was, after Christ I am, and here's what happened. A.D., Anno Domini, the moment that God called me out of my darkness. And it's not just one moment, like mine. It can be a moment of calling you out of a specific sin. Everyone understands lying. Everyone understands the temptation to lie to make themselves look better. So you can give your testimony of how the Holy Spirit has drawn you into a deeper and deeper understanding of your own sin and God's holiness and has made you like Him through the Holy Spirit. Do you have a B.C., an A.D., and an A.C.? Can you tell it in the time it takes you to ride an elevator? Before Christ, after Christ, and what happened through Christ. But the you here is y'all. See, where I come from in the United States, we conjugate the second person plural of the pronoun. We don't say you for, for when it's more than one. We say y'all, you all, y'all come. Y'all are a holy, holy nation. Y'all are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. If you think this is all about you as an individual, you are sucked in to the modern worldview of individualist materialism, which doesn't see you as a member of one another in Christ. This is for all of us. You can't be a nation on your own. Neither can I. This is for all people, and we are called to be members of one another. It's not just I who am saved, but we who are the people possessed by God. Not just I who am the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ joined together in Him. I want to ask you, are you a Christian Brazilian or a Brazilian Christian? That's a good grammatical question because in English, we put the the adjective before the noun. So does Christian... define your Brazilianness, or does Brazilian define your Christianness? Which is your first allegiance? We are his holy nation. We are a chosen race, a holy nation, a royal priesthood, and his very own people. But then we got to move on to the second part. The first reason that we are called is to proclaim his excellencies. But then Peter moves into, what are we going to do with that? Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Beloved, 
In, in the NIV, it says dear friends, but I believe this is deeper than, than dear friends. This means beloved by God. Eternity past and eternity future, God loves those who fear him. That's Psalm 103. You are beloved. And if you think God is bigger than the universe and so could never tell what you think, you haven't read your Bible. God is huge, but he also knows your thoughts. He understands your anxieties. He loves you. He loves me. You are his beloved, and therefore you can be the beloved of each other. And Peter goes back to this idea of being foreigners and exiles. Uh, NIV saying foreigners, I like the word sojourners because it has to do with walking, with moving. We are not staying in this foreign land in which we live. The, the, word, the Greek word could be translated both easily, but I like sojourners because it means pilgrim. Leave behind the passions of your flesh and go toward the better country, walking together in step with each other and in step with Christ. We are sojourners and exiles. I, I, have always been a foreigner. I grew up in Colombia as the son of a Wycliffe Bible translator's pilot. So from the time I can remember myself, I've always been different from those, the normal people who live in the place where I was living. Even when I would go back to the United States, I was so different. I didn't, I wasn't like them. I didn't know what kind of car everybody was driving. I didn't care about American football. I still don't. Do you see yourself as a foreigner? It's harder when you live in your own culture. It's an advantage to live in another culture and speak a, a second language, and you just know you're different from people. Suzanne and I used to go on a date to uh, the mall on Thursday night, and our team would say the next day on Friday, why do you go to the mall on Thursday when nobody's there? Because they wanted to go on Friday night and see everybody, right? The crowds were fun. That was part of the experience. We should be different. In fact, we should abstain from the passions, and this is interesting, not just of the world, but of the flesh, of yourself. Your passions come up out of your body, out of your mind. Your carnal, dead life of the past is still trying to get up out of the grave. It's like a zombie walking around in your life trying to make you do what you used to do and what you're slowly leaving behind as a sojourner. And Peter says these things War against what? This helps me so much. What, is they, what do they war against? Say it. Your own soul. Your body is at war with itself. It wants what will kill it. If you give your body everything it wants, you will have a miserable life at best. Or you'll just die. And that's happening all around us. Abstain from the things that are warring against your own soul and cling to that which is life and health and joy, the light into which you've been called. Say no because of the greater pleasure. My, my son Isaac and Samuel Macy, that some of you may remember, uh, started a, a worship band. and They wanted to call it Passion. But then young Samuel looked up Passion in the Bible looking for a key verse and he said, guess what, Thomas? Passion is always used negatively in the Bible. We hear so much about passion. What are you passionate about? Do your passion. Follow your passion. Well, I know that can be a good thing too, but watch out. The passions of your flesh 
are warring against your soul, and they're the opposite of the heavenly culture. The works of the flesh in Galatians 5 give us a good list of these things. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Verse 12, Peter says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles. Now that word doesn't just mean non-Jews, it means nations, right? Keep the conduct among everybody else so honorable that when they speak against you as evildoers, and let me tell you, they're doing that right now. In a pluralistic world, those who say there's only one way are evil. They're looked at as evil. Those who say there's absolute truth about who you were born to be are looked at as bigots. And so we're called to conduct ourselves so honorably that when they speak against us as evildoers, they may see our good deeds and glorify God. And here I like the ESV again. On the day of visitation. Uh, I looked that up in some commentaries this week, and it's, it can be either the final day of the Lord or it can be the day of each of our visitation. It's referring back to God's call of us in the darkness. When he called us out, we were visited by his grace to understand our need and his salvation. And so there are people all around us watching us who will also hopefully be visited by God, and they will say, I'm so glad you didn't... Join with us in the crazy party or in the lies to get more money. You called me out. God used your example to be a block, a roadblock in my way that's, that showed me that there are people who are different. See, Peter heard Jesus say in Matthew 5 on the Sermon on the Mount, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. The day of visitation is when the light comes on in our souls, and we are that light as his people. Well, what are we going to do about this? What's the conclusion? I want to ask you a couple of questions about your own life. Are you just another member of the crowd? Trying not to stick out and be made fun of? Or are you weird in Jesus? Not just weird. It's easy to be weird in the wrong way. But Jesus freaks, like DC Talk said, are people who are going the opposite direction of the world, who are abstaining from the passions of their flesh, which war against their souls, who are proclaiming the excellencies of the one who called them and practicing the culture of heaven. So here, let's say this again. The people of his possession, say it with me, the people of his possession proclaim his excellencies, practice good deeds, among those who haven't heard his call, we are the people of his own possession. We're called to proclaim his excellencies and practice his goodness. 
Back to first, uh, up, up to 1 Peter 4, 4, which we'll talk about in a few weeks. They are surprised, the world, when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you, they make fun of you. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. God chose you to be here this morning. His abundant mercy hangs like a rain cloud over your head. Believe it. Receive it. Listen for his call, his knock at the door of your heart. Behold, he says, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and sup with him. Coming out of the darkness means the light comes on in us, and we become the light of the world. Those who are citizens abstain from the passions of the flesh because they war against our souls. You know, I don't understand the words of funk music. As a gringo, I praise God. I drive by these parties at the, the university up the street from my house on Friday night, and I'm just so happy that I don't understand what they're saying. And I just drive away. I'm a Sao Paulino by name only. I don't know a single, single player on the team right now. I, I, I stopped knowing any players when Kaká left years and years ago. <laughs> so I, you know, I participate in some way. But I'm not passionate about it to the point of burning somebody's car or even yelling at another, another player. Why? Because they don't matter. I'm a foreigner. Now, for you Brazilians, that may be harder than it is for me. But the Bible says, like a foreigner, like me, abstain from the passions that are warring against your soul. Say no. Don't need that. Don't need TV. Don't need internet for my own joy to be full and complete. I will abstain from what is warring against my soul so that I can be the light of the world in Christ. If you have received mercy, you are not your own. You are bought with a price. You belong to Jesus. You are a people of his own possession for two purposes, to proclaim his excellencies and to practice his goodness so that others will hear his call. I've told this story before, but it bears telling again as we close. When my brother Jonathan was the mission pastor at a church in Florida, he was called to visit missionaries all around the world. One time he was in Hyderabad, India, at the train station there, which is a huge, hot, packed place, trying to figure out in Indian script and mixes of English and what train line he was supposed to be in. And it was an important decision because the train lines had dozens and dozens of people waiting to buy a ticket. So he's standing in the back, tall as he was, looking over and trying to figure out which line is the one I'm supposed to get into. And Everybody's jabbering, and there's the smell of dust and sweaty bodies, and he's trying to think. And while he's standing there, a man way over on the other side that worked at the train station saw him. It was hard to miss. And worked his way through all those lines and came over and put his hand on his shoulder and said, Sir, can I help you? What are you looking for? He said, Well, I need to go to such and such a place. He said, Oh, why are you going there? Well, Jonathan thought that was a strange question to ask. He, he said, well, I'm going to visit some friends. And the guy pushed a little more. Friends, how? Do you know them? He said, well, not really, but 
I'm part of a community in America that is helping them here. And he said, why? He said, with trembling, because we are sharing the good news of Jesus with people. And the guy just lit up, threw out his arms and said, Brother, I knew you were a follower of Jesus from way over there. And I came over to help you. The holy nation lit up in that dark place because two followers of Jesus that had never met knew each other. Is that your country? Is that your citizenship? Have you been chosen as Jesus' new humanity for his purposes to be completed in the world? I hope so. Let me pray for you as we finish. Lord, thank you for giving us ears to hear. I pray right now for anyone who has not received mercy yet that you would speak to them. Call them out of darkness. Wake up their mind. Open their eyes that they might see their own sin. Abandon it for good and run to you who are the light and who make us light. Have mercy on us. Make us priests and priestesses in this world. Help us abstain from the passions of our flesh that war against our souls and proclaim your excellencies with more fervor and faithfulness. And we'll give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.